final, no, it's not the final, the penultimate August episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. You like how I just didn't at all think about whether or not the 23rd was the last Wednesday in the month of August before we started this. I do so much prep, obviously, for our intro segments here. There's there's stumbling out of the blocks, and there's whatever the heck you just did. <laughs> and then there's Tyler Mon leading into an episode of the Minor League Baseball podcast. So, hey, with that, welcome in. We're flying out of the gates on episode number 124 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Uh, what's, what's going on out there? We're not even two weeks away from postseason play in minor league. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely kind of feel it, um, based on, you know, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but there's already postseason all-star teams. MVPs are being named, um, which is awful early, by the way. I mean, as much as it feels like the season's coming to an end, naming your MVP this far out is uh, a little bit nuts, but some, yeah, I was kind of thinking that too. Um, we'll, we'll discuss, but yeah, it seemed, you know, we got like a news alert last week on the 18th, the Midwest league announced those, uh, those awards. And I was like, yeah, there's still like almost a month left in the season, yeah. right? Like it's a little, a little well, early. I mean, but Hey, when Bobichet, to get yeah, Bobichet isn't going to hurt or help his MVP case. So I guess, you know, yeah, that's true. I guess you could just award yeah. it now. Cause it's not going right. anywhere. Yeah, that is true. Um, well, we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. But uh, before we do, a big thanks to you for tuning in to the Show Before the Show podcast, wherever you found us at MILB.com slash podcast or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, the Stitcher app, and elsewhere. And if you would uh, spare a few minutes, give us a rating and a review and a subscription, and we would be ever so grateful as we uh, plunge headfirst into the minor league postseason race here on the 124th episode. But before we do that, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the close to the regular season with these end-of-season All-Star Awards that have been handed out. The California League and the Midwest League, Class A Advanced for the California League, Class A for the Midwest League. Uh, Rancho Cucamonga outfielder and Los Angeles Dodgers prospect DJ Peters named the California League's Most Valuable Player and Rookie of the Year. Modesto Nuts right-hander and Seattle Mariners prospect Nick Neider was named the Pitcher of the Year in his third pro season. Uh, Those rosters uh from the cow league there's a lot of talent in that league and it's so much more compactly spread now with that as an eight team circuit which is kind of crazy last however many years we had 10 teams in the california league now you look at eight teams and just so much talent on this end of season all-star roster on all of those teams which seems to be that much more evident now in a, a shrunk league down to eight teams in the midwest league Bo Bichette, as we noted midwest league mvp and prospect of the year um vladimir guerrero jr his former lansing teammate uh, made the end of season all-star team at third base a lot of talent on that roster as well uh jose siri 39 game hitting streak there is in the midwest league this year it feels like there have been a ton of storylines which are really cool for us to follow throughout the minor leagues in the course of the season but what stood out to you uh among both of these rosters yeah so uh i kind of want to get to two thing well two guys that we i don't feel like we've talked about that much this season and Obviously, the fact that they are on postseason all-star team speaks to just how good they have been this year. Um, but in the Cal League, you know, we we focus so much on on hitting there because it's you know it is a hitters league. Guys put up monster numbers. Um, DJ Peters, you know, MVP uh, has been tearing the cover off the ball, homered off Madison Bumgarner, I think twice this year. Uh, lots of fun to be had there. But I kind of want to focus on the pitcher here, the pitcher of the year in the California League, which was Nick Nidert. Uh, of the Seattle Mariners organization. 
Snyder just has he's like one of my favorite types of pitchers, which are just guys who throw consistent strikes um, and not just like, you know, consistently, um, you know, working contact, that kind of thing. He only walked 17 batters in 104th and a third innings uh, with the Modesto nuts this year. He had a 2.76 ERA, which is, you know, good by anybody's standards, but in the Cal league, that's almost insane. Uh, and he also struck out 109 batters in 104 in the third innings. Um, you know, this is a, a type of guy who, when he throws the type of strikes that he does, or with the consistency that he does, it's going to make everything he does, or, you know, all of his pitches play up. Um, and, you know, he's got a really good curveball, or excuse me, a, a really good changeup, um, a solid fastball. His breaking stuff is, you know, average to a little bit below average. Um, but when you go, when you're, you know, a hitter going up against guys who you know is going to fill up the zone. Uh, sometimes it doesn't always matter exactly how special the stuff is. The guys know they have to be aggressive. Um, you know, they're going to be swinging first pitch, second pitch, because they don't want to get to a point where they're down 0-2. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of the case with Nider. Now he's up at at AA Arkansas, uh, currently on the disabled list. Hasn't necessarily had the same success there, so I'm kind of interested to see what, whether that, it's just him, you know, small sample is only six starts, but he's got a 6.56 ERA in double A. Or, you know, was that end of year fatigue? What kind of went on there? Uh, lots of interesting things with him. But the fact that he had the success that he did in the Cal League certainly earned the Pitcher of the Year award out there. Uh, makes him continually one to watch. He's now the number two prospect in that Mariner system, um, which is notable, you know, following the departure of Tyler O'Neill, He moves into that number two spot. Uh, he is their best pitching prospect at this stage. Uh, moving over to the Midwest League, as as you mentioned, you know Tyler, so many guys in the, in that league that we have talked about: Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, kind of notable that Bichette got Prospect of the Year, which is kind of an interesting award uh, over Guerrero because Guerrero, as as we know, is a top ten. You can make the argument for top five overall prospect in the game right now. Bichette doesn't have quite that same. Um, standing at least in the prospect community, not not that he isn't a great prospect himself, um, but the fact that people still saw Bichette as the better prospect is kind of interesting from that st- standpoint. Um, but one guy I, I want to highlight again because I just don't feel like maybe I haven't personally talked about him enough. Um, you know, we've written about him a little bit here and there. Is Jesus Sanchez the number seventy-three overall prospect in the game right now? Uh, number four prospect in a Ray system that I think has kind of upped it a little bit this year. It certainly got deeper, certainly a little bit more noticeable. Uh, as of right now, he's hitting 306 with 15 homers and 107 games at Class A Bowling Green. Uh, only 19 years old, uh, batting from the left side. He's got really good size at six foot three, 210 pounds. Uh, above average run tool, above average arm. Everything's kind of there for him to pop. It's it. Nothing is specifically overall plus right now he's a really good fielder um that might be the best part of his game right now most fully formed part of his game um but for somebody to already hit double digit home runs already be hitting above 300 over a full season over 100 games um you know as a teenager is really something special that's how he's kind of moved up not only in the Rays ranks but into the the top 100 overall Uh, i'm really excited to see what he can do now that he's kind of laid that groundwork for that uh, and what what will kind of happen for him going forward now that he he's found the success over a long longer season? Uh, he had had success before in rookie levels, but not not anything close to this uh, at Bowling Green. So 
Uh, Sanchez, one of the the outfielders on that Midwest League postseason all-star team, definitely keep an eye on him going forward. Uh, otherwise, you pretty much know all the big names in that one if you've been listening to this podcast, reading the site over the year. And, you know, no, normally that's how these postseason all-star teams kind of work. Uh, there's never anything too controversial um, because if guys have been in the league long enough or performed well enough, they're going to be honored. And, um, you know, they're all-star teams, so there's multiple spots sometimes, and sometimes there's utility spots, all that kind of stuff. So more of these will be coming out in the weeks to come. Um, Midwest League, California League, jumping the gun gotten a little bit but i'm sure by the time we talk next week there will be a couple others that we can kind of sift through and discuss one of the guys who's got a really cool storyline just as a, a final note on this tommy eveld of the arizona diamondbacks organization a relief pitcher was selected to that role in the midwest league he's pitched for kane county this year um as well as pitching for visalia and the california league after his promotion from kane county with the cougars he went one and zero with a 0.33 era in 22 games 14 saves and 14 save opportunities but tommy eveld was a wide receiver uh or was a scout quarterback rather for the uh the south floor Florida Bulls, University of South Florida, back when he was in college, um, and then had undergone a, a position switch, tore some ligaments in his knee, and decided, maybe I'll try baseball, and now is a professional baseball player after being a college football quarterback, which is just insane to me, but a really cool story for Tommy Eveld. Another thing to note, off of that Midwest League roster, West Michigan has been one of the best teams in minor league baseball throughout the entirety of this season. They've led the minors in wins and in winning percentage. They had one representative on that team, Gregory Soto, a left-handed pitcher, which gives you a an inkling of, A, how talented the Midwest League is as a whole, and B, how amazing it is that team of – not necessarily the highest regarded prospects throughout the minor leagues. You wouldn't say that's the most prospect laden roster. It wasn't even the most prospect laden roster in the Midwest league, but how well they have played this year under Mike Rabello, who is named the manager of the year uh, in the Midwest league for West Michigan as well. So whenever we talk about, development versus results process versus results that's kind of one of those microcosmic examples of that type of thing around the minor leagues so um, we'll have a whole lot more of these stories coming to milb.com soon as the rest of the leagues around minor league baseball announce their end of season all-stars and mvps and pitchers of the year and all that kind of stuff and uh, we'll continue breaking those things down uh strike two this week sam fernando tatis jr is headed up uh two levels not just one but two levels in the san diego padres organization he's actually already made his debut at double a leaps over class a advanced lake elsinore after really impressing in 117 games with class a fort wayne over that stretch the 18 year old shortstop batted 281 395 20 and got better as the season went along um he has been a really really fun one for us to watch this season uh this is a very aggressive promotion, obviously. It's not just aggressive in that he skips a level, but he jumps over a level and right into arguably the most difficult level in the minor leagues. Does so on the heels of a dominant August. 16 games in August with Fort Wayne. He slashed 375, 39, 722 over the course of those 16 games. And most people, most prospect observers, feel like he is ready but this is one heck of a jump for Tatis. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a couple of things at play there. A, like you said, just how hot he was at the end. He had certainly earned a promotion to somewhere. Um, but when you look at why maybe he went San Antonio and not Lake Elsinore, uh, Lake Elsinore currently sits 12 games out of the California League South Division second half race. Uh, their elimination number is one. 
Um, so if they lose or Rancho Cucamonga wins tonight, tomorrow, any time between now and the end of the season, Lake Elsinore is automatically eliminated. Uh, San Antonio, the double-A team for the Padres, already clinched a first-half division title in the Texas League South Division. Um, they're currently two and a half games up in the second half. So they're already going to the playoffs. Uh, I think this move was about getting Tatis some extra games, you know, some meaningful games, games that matter. Uh, and the fact that San Antonio had that position for him uh, is an interesting one. Um, but, you know, the way he was hitting, he was ready for a challenge. Um, so why not give him that challenge at double A? Now, what he ha- does the rest of the way at San Antonio, I think, doesn't really matter. Um, you know, it, he could go one for, you know, 30 the rest of the way. That might kind of hurt his confidence a little bit. But the way he's performed over a full season, and mind you, he is still only 18 years old. He's not turning 19 until January 2nd of the offseason. Um, so he had, already has so much to take away from this year. He's one of seven guys with 20 homers and 20 steals, 21 homers this year for Fort Wayne, 29 stolen bases. That's at a Fort Wayne franchise record, by the, the way. The 21 home runs? Yeah. It right. did. So he's already overperforming. Um, he's, he's shown more in the run tool than any of us kind of thought. Uh, so why not see how much they can push him? If it doesn't work out, well, they can, you know, he has plenty of laurels to rest on. Not that he should do that, but, uh, plenty to look back on this year, realize the success he's had, carry that next year. Does this automatically mean that, you know, he's going to start in San Antonio opening day next year? I don't think that's true either. They could very well move him back to Lake Elsinore at the end, at, at the start of the year. Let him, you know, push himself again at, as only a 19-year-old in the California League, and let that kind of go up. But there's a lot of things that go into the calculus of why he's up with the missions at this point. Now, what I think is really cool about this missions team, it might be one of the most prospect-filled teams in the minors right now. Um, but not only that, it's also so much so stuffed with young talent um beginning of the year Luis Urias was like the I think he was the youngest player in the Texas League he's only 20 then he was usurped by Josh Naylor first base prospect in the Padres system who is also his teammate who is also only 20 now they've both been usurped by Fernando Tatis who's only 18 um for some reason the Padres decide you know keep deciding that these guys are ready uh you know we've talked so much about what the Braves are doing with aggressively pushing their teenage prospects up the chain. Uh, you know, the Padres are equally doing that with their position players, um, you know, funneling them through the Texas League. Uh, so Urias was kind of a guy who was playing a little bit of short, a little bit of second. He moved over to second in the first game, allowed Tatis to play short. I'm still kind of interested to see how that's going to play out. Uh, Tatis at six foot three, 185 pounds. A lot of people don't think he's necessarily going to stick there just because of his size. Uh, he'll probably maybe lose a step uh, in terms of his quickness as he gets older. Could certainly profile third base. Has the bat to profile at third base. Like I said, you know, already over 20 homers. That's only going to grow as he gets older. Um, so a lot to like in this guy. He's already shot up to number 58 overall. He was the number eight prospect in the Padres system at the beginning of the year. Now number four. If he can do anything in the Texas League, his stock's only going to go further up. If he doesn't really perform that well, uh, you know, down the stretch into the postseason, whatever. It's not going to hurt his stock. This was obviously a, more aggressive than any of us thought he would possibly get it this time of year. But it's a fun assignment, so we'll we'll keep an eye on it. 
it is going to be pretty fun to watch. Uh, you know, it's it's a little incubator. It's the next couple of weeks. There's not really much risk in it. Um, and the plan for 2018 is presumably already etched uh, for Fernando Tatis in terms of what the Padres envision for him. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the way it plays out. But you get to kind of play with house money a little bit and test a guy at that level at 18 years old to finish off the 2017 season. Uh, we'll wrap things up with strike three this week. Getting close to the end of the season. We're honoring end of season. All-stars, all that type of stuff. Sam, who do you feel like in the prospect world has sort of flown under the radar in 2017 yeah the reason why i, I kind of want to talk about this this week is uh you know i had a tool shed that went up today um about nationals number 10 prospect daniel johnson who uh you know what i can't remember exactly it might have been tatis it was anyways i was looking up uh this past week who are the 2020 guys in, in the minors right now um some of the names you're definitely going to recognize. Tatis is one. Scott Kingery is another. Uh, Monte Harrison, you know, in the Brewer system, I've written a little bit about him. We've talked about a little bit about him. He's certainly broken through. Uh, Ronald Acuna is probably the breakout prospect of the year. It's between him and Kingery. Kyle Tucker is a top 100 prospect. So among 2020 guys, there are, there is these group of people that you have definitely heard about or you've definitely heard us talk about. They're kind of on everybody's radar. Uh, Johnson is also another 2020 guy. He's has, has 21 homers this year, 21 steals and 116 games between class A Hagerstown and class A advanced. And yet I feel like he's flown a little bit under the radar. A big reason for that is, uh, you know, he was a fifth round pick last year coming out of New Mexico state. Nobody really thought he would have this type of power. Uh, you know, even the nationals thought, you know, he's a gap hitter. He himself calls himself a gap hitter in my discussions with him. Um, but um, talking to the, the Nationals front office uh, player development director, Mark Shalaba, he said pound for pound, he might be the strongest player in their system right now, uh, which is one heck of praise. And then you look at Johnson, he's five foot 10, 185 pounds. You realize there's not a lot of pound for pound going on there. Um, but the, the way he's been able to generate power this year is really interesting. His first full season, um, and not really doing it in hitters' environments either. You know, the Sally League, Carolina League, these aren't places where we expect – you know, we raise an eyebrow when somebody hits more than 20 home runs. When that happens, you feel like it's something legit. Uh, and, again, with his size, his speed, you know, he's got 70-grade speed right now. That's how he gets to the 21 steals. They think his ceiling on that is particularly higher. Uh, they'd like to see him get even more aggressive on the base pass, add to that stolen base total. Um you know, that speed helps him in, out, in the outfield. He's mostly played center this year, uh, but played a lot of right as well. And uh, Shalaba said he has a well above average arm. Um, they're hoping to work on with consistency when it comes to that arm and when it comes to his throws and accuracy and all that. But the the buds of a five-tool player are here with Johnson. Uh, it, and normally when, you know, you can see a five-tool player coming, they're higher picks. They're first-round picks, second-round picks, whatever. He he dropped to the fifth round, which put him, put him under the radar. But when you look at the resume, when you look at what he's done, um, you know they, they're starting to sprout. You can really see a five-tooler here. Now, do the Nationals need another outfield prospect? You hesitate to say not really, but at, you know he's already overshadowed in that system by probably the game's biggest five-tool prospect in the minors right now in Victor Robles. Uh, you know, they they acquired Adam Eaton. They tra- traded a lot for Adam Eaton 
in the off season this past year. He's got a torn ACL now, but you know when he comes back, he's still a very big part of their future plans. Uh, Bryce Harper, there's still another year of team control for him. Um, you know, they've. I think when I counted it up this year, the Nationals had 13 outfielders that they had used on the major league roster at some point. Um, so Johnson knows kind of what's in front of him, and he's embracing that. You know, he told me it's fun, it's motivating. You've seen so many guys work their way, uh, follow the path that I've kind of taken. So that that's a little bit of motivation. Um, but you know, with the way he's kind of showing himself, he certainly put himself into that conversation uh, for maybe a 2018 debut. Um, so we, we should probably follow him a little more. But uh, yeah, he, he's one of my most exciting players to watch this year, just given the the package of tools that he has and the fact that. Uh, at least he came a little bit out of nowhere from the beginning of the year. That's what's kind of exciting about uh, about the minor leagues is you can follow all of the top guys, all the guys that you know names of, but there are always going to be guys who you haven't kept an eye on who are going to rise, they're going to make their names known, and they're going to surprise you by making it to the big leagues and making big impacts. And it's fun to kind of pick those guys out when the, the chips fall over the course of a season. Um, and so that is where we find ourselves the last couple of weeks of the regular season staring us down here in 2017, a minor league postseason starting up in just about two weeks uh, all across the minors. That'll do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes. Coming up, we're going to head to the Chicago Cubs organization and Class A short season Eugene, where we find the Cubs 2017 19th round draft selection out of Charleston Southern. Chris Singleton joins the show next. Our guest on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com is Eugene Emeralds outfielder Chris Singleton, who joins us from the Northwest League. Uh, Chris, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for coming on with us. Uh, this is your second stop of your debut minor league season, a 19th round pick uh, back in June, starting the AZL at rookie level. You jump up to Class A short season, 17 games so far with Eugene. What has that transition been like? You go from a college season to a complex league to now a short season league. It's a lot of change. How has the, the AZL to Northwest League adjustment treated you so far? Yeah, it's definitely a lot of change. Uh, it's, it's it's more games, you know, in the AGL. We had some more off days, but uh, here we're playing every single day. So uh, it's definitely been a, been, a, been a difference. Chris, this start to your professional career, you get to join an organization that's coming off a World Series championship and very highly regards you. I know that uh, right after the draft, uh, Jason McLeod, who's uh, one of the, the Cubs' Um, real gurus and evaluating talent said you were a 19th round pick, but they had you as a top 10 round talent um, to get into an organization that not only is coming off a world series title, but has shown to be so adept at developing prospects, getting guys to the big leagues and having success. How excited were you when the Cubs were the ones to call your name on draft day? Um, I was extremely excited, you know, you know, meeting, meeting some people in the front office, meeting my, my co my managers and the people that have been, helping me out with my mechanics and stuff like that so far, you know, it's been great. And I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see what the process is, has, has for me in the upcoming months, you know, with instructs and stuff like that. So I'm really ready to learn. And what's been the most surprising aspect of pro ball so far? I know you said playing every day and Eugene is a little bit of a wake up, but what about uh, just the pro atmosphere or the pro game itself has, has surprised you the most? Yeah. Um, well, I, for one, you know, as I said, playing every day is definitely different because, you know, 
you know, in college, you, you play three games in a row, then you have an off day to fix some things. But, you know, with pro ball, you got to fix things right before the game. And there's not as much thinking as, as you can do in college because these guys are, are great. These guys are good, really good, you know. So there's not as much thinking. You got to let your athleticism take over at times. And uh, it's it's been a little struggle for me. I never really struggled before. When I got called up to the uh, Eugene, I think my the last probably six or seven games I've been going through it. But my coaches are saying, you know, this is not the first time. It's, this might be the first time it's happened, but it won't be the last time. So I'm really, I'm really just trying to grind it out and have fun while I'm playing. And are there any adjustments you've made over this? I mean, it's like you said, it's only a couple of games so far. Uh, you do have to allow your athleticism and reading some of your scattering reports. You've got plenty of athleticism, plenty of athleticism, plenty of speed to work with. Um, do you make any adjustments this quickly in your pro career? Or do you just kind of let it ride out? We've done we've done some stuff, some stuff that's felt a little different for me. So just. Just doing the little things like that, it hasn't felt as as comfortable as I have in the past. But with with these new changes, I feel like once they're once I'm feeling comfortable in the box again, then things are going to go uphill a lot quicker than I think. Chris, for college guys coming out of the draft and into a pro season is such a an arduous process because you started playing games February 19th this year for Charleston Southern against West Virginia. You guys debut with a victory. Before that, you're getting ready for the season, um, prepping and training and offseason work and all that kind of stuff, which obviously you'll be doing as a professional, but you're not getting into game action really until April. Uh, so this is a long slog. I mean, to get from a college season through a pro season, how has that affected you just physically and mentally, that grind? And, and how now, playing every day, how do you take care of your body? I mean, for young guys, you know, like guys you played with in college jumping into this season uh how does that change in the way you manage yourself going into everyday activities now in august yeah well it's definitely been a, been a long process so far but one one thing that i've had to realize is that i got to keep my my legs fresh me being an outfielder and i like to show my speed i have to keep my legs fresh and one thing we'll do is i'll lift legs uh, a couple times a week just just to really get get them fresh get some blood flowing and so by the time game time comes you know i'm feeling good i'm not feeling sluggish in, in any way so that's one thing i've had to learn quick since i've started playing pro ball by the way i was reading out the wrong schedule february 17th was the start of this season for charleston southern against delaware state not february 19th so even longer sam take it away yeah <laughs> one thing i think i read about you chris was um you mentioned you had worked out for the Cubs in a pre-draft workout. Um, what was that experience like? And, and how many teams did you end up working out for? Because guys who normally go in those middle rounds, you know, you're not always going to, to pre-draft workouts like that. So what was your kind of experience going into the draft? Yeah, that was that was really, really fun. I mean, going up to Wrigley, being able to see that, you know, touch the ivy on the wall, that kind of stuff, I think was amazing. You know, you dream about going to play at parks like that. For me to get that experience, it was awesome. And I think I, I think I did really well while I was there. What was it like walking into that building, knowing not only is this a major league park you're now playing at, but also, you know, you're trying to fight for a job or fight for a, a potential draft pick. I mean, where was your mind going uh, going into that? Yeah, my mind was uh, – I was actually pretty relaxed. You know, I wanted to just have some fun and soak it all in. I actually stayed after after the, the workout was over. I stayed a little longer just to just to soak it in some more because of how historical that place is. And I just – I really just soaked it in. 
Chris, with the Eugene Emeralds so far in the starts of this season, uh, the the Northwest League is kind of its own unique brand in that sometimes we even, I think, forget about the Northwest League and being a Class A short season league that's kind of far removed from everything else. But for you, it's a long ways from home. What has that been like? It's kind of a, a different pace of life and all that type of stuff. How have you enjoyed Oregon so far? I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. It's a little cooler than Arizona, so I can't. I've got no complaints <laughs> about the, the weather. <laughs> no complaints about the weather, but um, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And we, we we get a pretty good turnout at our at our game, so that's it's, it's cool playing in front of in front of a crowd. Because you know, in Arizona, when you're with the ro- the rookie team, then there's no really no fans out there. So the first time you play up here, and you hear fans screaming, it's it's kind of it's kind of awesome. <laughs> Well, Chris, let's talk about uh, some of your personal story. Um, as a, a prospect in the Cubs system now, uh, a longtime baseball talent, and people may have first heard your name uh, under some heartbreaking circumstances a couple of years ago. Uh, Chris's mother, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, was one of nine killed by a gunman at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. And Chris's father, also named Chris, who was a college football player. His mother was a college track athlete. Uh, he passed away this February. Um, this, you know, for those those of us who have never had to deal with something that trying it's unconscionable to imagine what that's like dealing with that twice with your father passing away this year but to be where you are right now to be a professional ball player everything that your parents wanted the way that your mom supported you throughout your your baseball career the the videos of everybody hits everybody scores the chant that she would lead at your high school games your college games and that kind of stuff what do you think your parents would say to you now seeing you out there manning the outfield in a professional uniform, having signed a contract in an organization that's a world championship club. What would that conversation be like? Yeah, the, con- the conversation would be, well, first of all, it'd be some crying for my mom, just the happy tears, you know, but then, <laughs> then they would get, get to business and say, you know, you're, you're here, but, but you're not finished yet. That's what they would tell me. They would tell me to keep working hard and keep doing the things that, I, that I've done on and off the field. So that that'd be something they want to express, you know. My dad, my dad was a big baseball fan too, but he never played, so he'd really be in awe of what I've what I've done so far, and he he he'd be pushing me to keep going and keep furthering my career. What exactly did you take away from your mother, and you know your time with her? Uh, Tyler mentioned she was a track athlete. I heard she was a track coach as well. So obviously you got some of her speed. And that's gotten you to where you are. But, um, you know, what were some of the biggest lessons you took from your mom and your your time together while she was here? Yeah, she taught me a lot. Of, not not only my my athleticism, but just, just as a person. She taught me really how to be a man. So, you know, I've had to grow up early since she passed away. I've had to grow up at a young age. I've been living by myself since I was eight, since, I'm eight, since I've been 18 now. But, um. She really just taught me how to be a man and go about my business and, and respect people and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm, I'm really blessed that I got the time to spend with her that I did, even though it was cut short. I think I'm, I'm still truly blessed to be able to spend 18 years with her. And how do you kind of carry that to the pro game? I mean, a lot of that, you had a lot of growing up to do at such a young age. Um, you know, you've got two younger siblings, a younger brother, a younger sister. Uh, you know, now you, you're still playing a game and you're trying to start a career at your age. Um, you know, how does that kind of translate to, to the field or off the field now that you are starting a career? Yeah, and my, my brother and sister, they're actually going to start living with me this year. My sister's going to be finishing up her senior year at the high school that my mom taught at and I went to. So I'm very excited about that. And also my little brother's going to live with me. He's 14, about to start high school. So I think that's that's another blessing that I get to spend so much time with them 
because I haven't got to spend as much time with them with them being away ever since things went down. But I'm really excited for the offseason just to get to hang out with my family a lot more. Chris, uh, there was a, a terrific profile done on you in the Eugene Register Guard last week that people can find. Austin Meek was uh, was the writer behind that story. And, um, you know, I mean, in light of uh, some awful things that we've all had to witness that have been thrust in front of all of our eyes over the last couple of weeks, um, that conversation came up between you and Austin in that story. Um, where we sit right now, and we're a baseball podcast. We don't pretend to be experts on, on what it's like being a kid who grew up in your position in the South or being somebody who... Who, you know has a, a view on this from a place like Charleston where where your mother was killed a mile and a half away in the 1930s they erected a confederate defenders of Charleston statue I mean when you see all this stuff that's going on right now a couple years after you lost your mom what are your thoughts on that how difficult is that now being away from home having your siblings back there and not necessarily being right in the mix but still having to see what's been going on yeah, it's especially tough for me, but it's it's tough for anybody. You know, you look at that stuff on the news, and you and you know, and it it makes your stomach turn a little bit because you know that's just not right. So I think it, it's been difficult for me. You know, I've had some thoughts myself, but but every everybody is probably feeling the same way, if not, well, probably everybody's probably feeling the same way that I feel about that stuff that we that's been going on. And one thing that I I particularly you know, I'll admit I, I grabbed in, inspiration from was the way, you know, again, Tyler said some of the ways some people heard your name first was you were one of the first people to forgive um, the shooter in the, in the Charleston church. Um, how are you able to find the strength to do that in that moment? And, you know, just talk about what that, what that was like in that moment to be able to do that and, and what you've taken away since from there. Yeah, I'm a well. Honestly, I'm I'm a, I'm a believer, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and because of Him, I can spend eternal life in heaven. You know, that's that's one thing that's got me through all this with this this stuff that I've gone through. I couldn't imagine going through the stuff that I that I've gone through and not being a believer. So that's that's one thing that's kept me strong. Another thing is, like like you guys said, my mom, the way she brought me up. And uh, that, that's been another major part in my life for me to be able to forgive somebody for doing that to not only me, but to my whole family, you know? Chris, in that same story in the, the Register Guard, one of the things that they pointed out is that you've kind of taken on this mantle of being able to talk about stuff like you just said um, with people around you in, in baseball. And being able to do that in the minor leagues now, you're going to be traveling a ton of places. You make the climb from Eugene. Next year, you're going to be in South Bend. You're going to be all these different spots. And you get to tell that story and you get to have an impact on people's lives. And that's something that, you know, from everything everybody has ever read about your mom or your dad would be the thing that they would want most from you. So how to take on that mantle and be somebody who can be more than just baseball it's a lot of responsibility to assume but it seems like you're so eager to do that how has that been your first foray into that as a professional player I think it's amazing it's it's a great opportunity for me to not really just to be just in the southeast but be all over this country you know and, and to talk to people like the other day a little kid came up and when I signed somebody's ball I signed my signature and next to my signature a part of it is it says love it says love is stronger than hate i put love in the greater sign and then hate and when when little kids will come up to me and ask me for that and their parents will smile and give me a nudge and say thanks for the message that kind of stuff warms my heart you know after the game whether i went 0 for 4 4 for 4 
whatever happened, when, when I see a parent smile and say, thank you for that message, it really warms my heart. And how much respite do you find in, in baseball? Uh, you know, watching a press conference you gave after, after the tragedy, you said how the baseball community had kind of wrapped up in you. I know you got a chance to, to you know, go to the Yankee Stadium afterwards and got to take some swings there. The Yankees kind of embraced you. They even sent a message after you were drafted by the Cubs that it didn't matter what team you were in. They were just happy to see you in, in pro ball. Uh, how have you been able to find uh, you know, a community in baseball that's kind of wrapped you up and, and helped you through the, all of this? Well, I feel like baseball is a little different than any other sport, as you guys may know yourselves. You know, we hang out all day, every day. So so we, we're <laughs> hanging out a lot. I get to talk to my t- teammates, become friends, you know, and stuff like that. So not only just – like a lot of my teammates, some of them don't even know about my story. They they have they don't know. So when they hear it, they're like, oh, my gosh, man, I never knew, like, they they like, dude, I got so much more respect for you than I than I had before. <laughs> just joking around, but no, I think I think it's been great, you know, just to hang out with them guys every single day. And if they know about my story, they know, and if not, then then it, then some don't, you know. Chris, we'll we'll end on a few uh, more lighthearted ones, so we can talk some uh, some fun baseball stuff before we get out of here. Um, as a professional now, only a, a handful really of games under your belt compared to what you'll have played by the time this is all done. Hopefully, fifteen years from now. But through twenty nine games, what has been the moment where you said to yourself, "Oh man, I'm a I'm a professional baseball player now." Everybody, it seems like, has one of those moments where it's like, "This is tough" or "This is amazing." What was that for you? Uh, I'd probably say my first home run, my first home run. You know, I, I hit one when I was in Arizona, and I was feeling pretty good at the plate. And when I hit my first home run, like all the news stations and stuff back home were, were texting me, calling me, and, <laughs> and tweeting at me. And I called I, I call my little brother and talked to my and texted my little sister. And uh, that, that moment right there, I'd probably say, was the moment I'm like, wow, I really, I'm a professional baseball player now. There's a really right, so cool picture, me. too, that Chris has. Just real quick, Chris has on his, yeah, yeah. his Twitter photo just a ball. Uh, the ball from his first pro hit is a really, really cool photo, too. Sam, go go for it. Well, no, because I, I, Reese Hoskins the other day talked about how he forgot his how he was running around the bases when he hit his first Major League homer. So, Chris, please tell me you remember, like, you took a good long trot going around <laughs> that first homer at the AZL, and you something you can remember at least forever. Yeah, I, I definitely gave it. I gave it a good look when I hit it because I know I squared it up. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I ran. I ran around the bases just. Just it, it was kind of surreal, you know. I ran around the bases just like I would any other time. Well, and the problem is when you're fast, when speed is one of your top graded tools, it makes it. I would imagine a lot more difficult to go for like the David Ortiz forty second home run trot. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I had enough bombs to be able to do that. To do that forty second, forty second trot. Chris, couple more for you. We'll get you out of here. One player in baseball you would love to face. You're in the Cubs organization now. Might get a chance in spring training to see John Lester, or Jake Arrieta, or whoever. Who is who is one guy you'd want to step in the box against? Um, one guy I want to step in the box in my organization or just anywhere, in anywhere in professional anywhere baseball. baseball. Yeah. Anywhere. Uh, I'd probably say Chapman because he throws so hard. Just to be able to stand <laughs> in the box, I feel like 
10 years from now, I could say I got to hit hit against Chapman, you know? <laughs> that's, that's pretty <laughs> That is a really good yeah, one. Not a, not yeah. a whole lot of people would choose the 105-mile-an-hour fastball to go against, but I very much admire that. Um, all right, last thing <laughs> for you, Chris. When you got the call that you were drafted – you were cleaning pools with a pool cleaning business that you have back home. Now you're a professional baseball player. So the question is, does the pool cleaning business stay open? And if so, are you just going to make your little brother do all of it? Cause that's the point of little brothers, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that is the point of little brothers. <laughs> if he wants to make some money, he can, de- he can definitely be a part of it. But no, me and my, uh, me and my high school teammate, we both own it together. And uh, he's been holding down the fort for me whenever since i've been gone but yeah i still own the business and uh it's doing it's actually doing pretty decent back in charleston you know we got great weather there so yeah but if my little brother wants a job he definitely <laughs> start cleaning some pools. is he gonna have to apply like are you gonna make him all right caleb you got like the whole thing laid out no nah, i don't think you have to apply <laughs> i mean unless i <laughs> i think i might just give him a couple dollars here and there there you go. He is Chris Singleton. He's on Twitter at C Singleton underscore two. You can find him there. And uh, man, just an incredible head on your shoulders, Chris. And congratulations on uh, on all the success so far. Uh, a whole ton of people, us included, pulling for all the best for you as this professional train gets rolling. And uh, best of luck the last few weeks of 2017 season and on into Instructs, man. Enjoy it. Thank you. God bless. You know, whenever I tune into Twitter, I tune into Ben Hill's Twitter account. I don't really tune into Twitter, but if I had Twitter, I would tune into Ben Hill's Twitter account. I really would. He's the only person I know. He's really the only person I know. We got to get into it right out of the gate with Benjamin Hill on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. A week ago, when Ben was getting set to head to the Carolinas for the start of his Carolinas trip, Sam suggested that maybe there was a possibility that in Charleston, Ben would run into the Charleston River Dogs uh, director of fun, one Bill Murray. And that happened. Not only did Ben get to meet Bill Murray, but he got to meet Danny McBride, who you all know is Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down, and Bill Murray's brother, Brian Doyle Murray, who you all know is Mr. Shirley, uh, Clark Griswold's boss in Christmas Vacation, or as the father of the bubble boy on Seinfeld. How did this happen? Tell us this whole thing. It was like kind of a joke, like, oh, maybe you'll meet Bill Murray. And then it happened. Yeah, well, you know, it's a story. Um, Two things. To, to clarify. As it right seems up. everything with Bill Murray is, it's a story. As right. it always seems, like we were talking about last week. Right. Well, to clarify two things, he was there at the game with uh, Brian Doyle Murray and Danny McBride, but Danny McBride I never met. That's uh, okay. clarification number one. Clarification number two, when you're listing the credits of Brian Doyle Murray, for me, it basically begins and ends with he played Gus on Get a Life. Um, a retired cop oh, who yeah. Chris Elliott moves in with in the second season. And uh, that show is totally off the rails. And, um, you know, I, I want to keep this interview nice and concise. <laughs> but if, you know, anyone listening to this hasn't seen Get a Life, you know, at Aaron Fox in 1990, 91, two seasons that starred Chris Elliott as a 30 year old man who lives with his parents. Super surreal. Bob Odenkirk on the writing staff, Charlie Kaufman on the writing staff. And in the second season, Chris moves out into a garage. 
of a house owned by a retired cop named Gus, and that is Brian Doyle Murray. So when I met uh, Brian Doyle Murray in Charleston, I was like, hey, man, like I love I love to get a life a lot. And, you know, I think he appreciated it. But anyway, um, Bill Murray, as you guys probably know, is um, the River Dogs, a co-owner with the River Dogs and the team's director of fun. Um, he has a house in Charleston. He shows up at River Dogs games here and there, but you know he can't be relied on to be there. Um, nor is he the kind of guy who, you know, kind of schedules interviews in advance. You can't call up the River Dogs and say, "Hey, can I have an interview with Bill Murray?" But I got to the ballpark, and it was a uh, Saturday night, and um, you know I'm pretty friendly with a few guys on the front office staff there, and. Uh, he said, oh, yeah, Bill Murray's in a suite watching the game with Brian Doyle Murray and Danny McBride. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But I really wasn't thinking I was going to interview him because I just didn't want to be like, you know, oh, hey, can I interview him? Can I interview him? Because everybody wants to interview him. Everybody wants to talk to him. And the vibe I get is, you know, it just sort of happens or it doesn't. Um, so I just kind of went through my day with the River Dogs, um, you know, spending some time on the air, taking pictures of everything, X, Y, and Z. And um, I ended up meeting uh Bill Murray and Brian Doyle Murray in the team's new upstairs club area. They just came in to get some food. I was there with Phil Geary, the director of operations, who knew uh, Brian and Bill fairly well. And so I meet him, and I was like, oh, hey, hi, how are you? And it didn't feel very bizarre. It just felt like meeting another person. You know, when you're in real life and you just meet someone, it was kind of like, oh, hey, how are you? With this kind of extra layer in the back of my head of like, wow, that's Bill Murray. And, uh, so we talked for a few minutes. I told him what I did. He said, you know, keep up with that scam as long as you can. And I was like, hey, that's what I've been trying to do, you know, quote, unquote. Ex- <laughs> quote, it's like the rest of us yeah, working in sports. Right, quote, unquote, exploring minor league, uh, exploring America through minor league baseball. And there was like half of me sort of screaming, like, say, hey, Bill, can I interview you? Can I, you know, I wish for MLB.com. I'd love to talk to you and this and that. And, you know, I lacked that killer instinct. I felt like dude's the game. He gets hounded all the time, whatever. And uh, then the game kept going on. Spent the eighth inning on the air with the River Dogs broadcaster, Matt Dean. And then uh, after that, I was talking to Phil again, Philip, who works with the team. He's like, he's like, yeah, I just checked in on those guys. And uh, it'll be cool to talk to you if you want. You know, he said it was cool because I let my, I let it be known that I would interview Bill Murray if he wanted to. If it came up, yeah. you'd be open to if it. you guys yeah, cross paths yeah. again, you know, just whatever. Right, right. So here you guys are also learning my essentially passive nature as a journalist is, I guess, because what I do is so like just sort of the, the night as it happens. I always have ideas of who I want to talk to and what I want to do. But I do struggle with just being like, I need to talk to this person. Like, hey, 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 Bill, Bill, Bill. I, I just, uh, you know, it just kind of had to happen. Maybe that's why I'm single now that I think about it. You know, these things just sort of have to happen. <laughs> I don't pursue them. They just sort of happen. Um, but whatever. Um, yeah, so I was told, you, yeah, like, hey, I just stopped in with Billy. It'd be cool to do it. And I was like, yeah, let's walk up there. And um, along the way, he had already wandered out. And he was like, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Um, you know, the game's in the ninth inning. Let's, uh, let's sit down and watch the game. So I'm like, okay. So then I'm sitting at a table on the picnic level or on the uh, picnic table on the upper level concourse and um, just like sitting there across from Bill Murray. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll interview you. But it was like so loud, you know, it's loud at minor league baseball stadiums, but um, you know, especially 
when you're sitting like on a concourse right below these speakers and uh you know then of course people started coming over and like interrupting us and i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do with this i was asking some questions he was answering but you know i'm holding the phone so close to him just to get any quotes at all and then the game ends and they start a helicopter ball drop with all these bouncy balls dropping from a helicopter and uh, you know bouncing all over the place and he's like hey you should tape this and i was like yeah i should so I just switched from audio to video and then just started taping the helicopter ball drop and getting uh, Bill Murray interspersed with like Bill Murray's reactions to the helicopter ball drop. So um, I still have like different footage and quotes that I haven't used yet because just trying to make sense of all this. Um, and then at the end of the game, I asked him his thoughts on the helicopter ball drop. And then that's what's led to the, uh, what is, has appeared online, a video um, where, you know, he says as exciting and profound as the helicopter ball drop was, you know, we're opening our ballpark to the eclipse on Monday and yada, yada, yada. And then that led to his sort of advice on the apocalypse. And I asked him for apocalypse advice tips and blah, blah, blah. So got that video out fairly quickly along with a short article contextualizing it. And uh, I wouldn't say it went like red hot viral, but uh, definitely has gotten some play. Apparently appeared on SportsCenter, which the only reason I know that is because someone tweeted me that I was misattributed as Ben's Bix, B-E-N-S-B-I-X on SportsCenter. So my interview with Bill Murray ran on SportsCenter and it said MILB.com slash at Ben's Bix. So Ben's Bix, once again, is soaking up all my glory. That dude's probably not single, probably has a wife who loves him, but Ben's Biz. (laughs) uh, I was going to say, you have to let that be your alter ego now. Like Ben's Bix is, is the super confident interviewer who goes right up to Bill Murray and asks him all the tough questions and you know, make some, right. you know, all this kind of stuff. We got to get get that Twitter account going now, I think. Well, the good news is there is no actual Ben's Bix on Twitter, so it's it's out there to be claimed. Right, because Ben's Bix, he thinks it might be a good idea to see Bill Murray and just go right up to him. But, you know, as much as I'm self-deprecating, I kind of know what I'm doing. <laughs> you don't want to just run up and, hey, 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 like, here, hey, Bill, it's so great. Why are you here? You don't want that. And I wouldn't have wanted the footage that resulted from that, that made me seem like, you know, I was, like, with TMZ or something. This is MILB.com. I'm Ben's Biz. Things get done a different way. And as you can see, it worked out. All the times it doesn't work out, you don't know about it because I don't talk about (laughs) it. But this time it worked out, and uh, there you go. I interviewed Bill Murray. I still have more from Bill Murray that um, I just kind of wanted to wait to get back from the road because it's kind of a mess with uh, all the interruptions, the (laughs) very poor audio, um, everything. But I have some more stuff to share, one of which – is uh, definitely super cool. I have it in my pocket, and I'm just waiting for the right moment to. Is it just you asking like Bill a, Murray the same question over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? It is not. Spoiler oh, alert: man. it is not. But, uh, <laughs> but I have a little more, and and you know, okay. So this story has already gotten kind of overblown, but I just—he was just really friendly and engaged with me when I was talking to him. The time he gave me was time he gave to me and he didn't come across as you know put out or like who is this schmuck and uh i think you can see that in the video that's already online talking about the apocalypse just that he seemed just very uh down to earth and engaged and you know i guess that's why people love him you know he's uh, a hard one to pin down but uh if you have him in the moment and that's what comedy is all about you know being in the moment so you know for the time i was with him like i was you know who he was focusing on in the moment and it came out to be pretty good stuff despite some of the limitations of just having my phone and it being really loud and that's why the video it's way too much of his face in the frame but i was worried about just not hearing anything at all uh with all the interruptions and the pa and everything else so uh 
I was going to say long story short, but that was basically long story line. Long story long. <laughs> um, that's uh, how I met Bill Murray. Uh, check out MILB.com for my uh, article about his uh, thoughts on the eclipse and the apocalypse. And uh, as I said, stay tuned for a little bit more. If you just can't get enough Bill Murray, I'll provide you with a little bit more Bill Murray in your life. And shout out to Brian Doyle Murray, Gus, on uh, Fox's Get a Life, one of the best shows of all time. And Danny McBride, you missed a golden opportunity to meet the one and only Ben's Bix. Right, right, right. Next time, next time. There's always a next time, right? Next time. Until, next time, Kenny in, Powers, next time. In, until there isn't. I think he had left early. I think he had left early in the day. But they were all in a suite, and they're working on something. There's a baseball-related project in the works. I do have some quotes from from Bill Murray on that, where he Ooh. basically said, you know, nothing else, nothing except that something fit in. Now that is yeah. exciting. Right. He said, he said basically, we're just trying to be funny right now. Um, he gave no details. <laughs> um, you know, he just was saying we're doing something. Um, I don't. But but they were there. They weren't working that night, but they actually were all three at the ballpark together with something larger in mind. Uh, related to baseball so stay tuned very cool well i feel like that bill murray's appearance is like the only thing that could and i don't mean this as a pun literally overshadow the eclipse your eclipse experience because we had talked about that so much months ago leading up to this trip you know last week all that kind of stuff what was your experience like down in uh columbia uh for the eclipse what you did have a live video on facebook for that which was really neat um but it didn't get to see the sun itself. So I want to make sure you actually got to watch it through the glasses they gave you. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, what a one, two, you know, here, uh, in Ben's Bizland to talk to Bill Murray in Charleston, then go to Columbia and be there for the eclipse. You know, Columbia was in the path of totality. And the reason I chose Columbia as the place to go to is because they had a built-in eclipse delay. Like Charleston didn't, a few other teams didn't, I, I wanted to be in an environment where you're watching a game and it's literally delayed and then goes into, um, you know, totality. So, um, you know, really cool day at the ballpark, huge crowd, almost 10,000 people, you know, more people for that game than any game all season. And consider the fact that they had Tebow on the roster for the first several months of the season, you know, the eclipse outdrew any game with, with Tim Tebow in it, which I think really says something. Um, so great atmosphere at the ballpark. People really excited for the eclipse. Um, maybe I should have been on the Facebook live train a little bit earlier, but I guess when I'm doing what I do at the ballpark, it's often such small, small stakes, small time stuff that to go live with no context, it seemed like, I don't know about that, but, um, you know, this is an eclipse. So I, I stood in, uh, you know, right by the left field foul pole. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, should I use my media pass, get on the field, whatever? And I was like, no, I'm just going to go to left field foul pole and just kind of be among the people and be able to get a view that encompasses the whole field and uh, the whole ballpark rather easily. And it was apparently a good angle in terms of where the actual sun and moon were and blah, blah, blah. So after three and a half innings, they delayed the game and I started the Facebook Live video and uh, I shot it. And, you know, the video has done really well. It already has over a hundred thousand views and so many likes and comments and people are so positive. They're saying like, wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it's like this alternate internet where people are just friendly and appreciative of, of this video that appeared on the uh, minor league baseball, Facebook page, uh, M I L B on Facebook. And, um, it was awkward though, because until totality, I was wearing the glasses that you literally can't see anything out of. And so I was filming without being able to see what I was filming while also kind of looking at the sun, but not pointing my camera at the sun. 
I didn't want like my phone to explode. I didn't really know the, the specifics of all this. Um, but then when totality hit, it was amazing. And you can see this video, um, you know, it got almost like pitch black and this, this whole thing where it started to get dark, then got dark and then came back to light happened in like three and a half, four minutes. And it was bizarre. It was like a dream. Um, and, you know, it's kind of hard to explain unless you were there. But to be there, you know, at a minor league baseball game, my favorite sport, you know, the, the area in which I've made my living. So in an area in which I feel so comfortable and then witness collectively and communally this uh, phenomenon that I'd never seen anything like with nearly 10,000 people who were equally as excited was just really cool. The whole thing was really, really cool. And then it's over. Almost like it, the whole delay was 19 minutes. You can't even have a rain delay, and you know any delay in baseball, you know when there's a stoppage in play is usually going to be more than 19 minutes. But uh, the whole thing was 19 minutes, and then the game resumed. It's the bottom of the fourth, and um, and then it was kind of like, oh yeah, it's a Monday afternoon in Columbia. It is hot, and now we got to watch like <laughs> this minor league baseball game that seemed a little anticlimactic after all that, but wonderful event and a really cool thing to see. Uh, I have an article on MILB.com that includes my streaming video that recaps the whole event. And, of course, uh, I hope you and everyone else who's listening reads it. Well, one of the really neat things about the Eclipse is it was like minor league baseball was the only show in town to take full advantage of it. And, and like, I mean, that was on ESPN as well. They kind of ran through all of the day's minor league baseball promotions. Um, but it's so – fittingly minor league that all of these teams were so adaptable to that. And I remember last year we had been on the podcast telling us about how Salem Kaiser announced in 2016 that they would be doing this in 2017 with, I think a nine 30 first pitch in Salem Kaiser. They had served breakfast at the ballpark, all that kind of stuff, but it's really a tribute, a testament to the, the industry that all of these teams were so, open to the flexibility of yeah we'll we'll open the doors we'll open the gates super early we'll have a weird start time we'll have a delay in the middle of it you don't get that in a whole lot of of industries around the country no i mean i can't really think of anything else that was so well positioned to capitalize uh, on this event and and the teams that did something really did it well and um you know, I don't think there's any place that anyone would have rather have been, you know, in the crowd. I, I really think like afterwards, if you had gone around and interviewed just random people in the crowd and said, like, you know, did this experience work out for you? I don't think you'd find a single person who was like, well, you know, I could have watched it at my brother Jim's house or on, on my friend's roof or whatever. That was a great place to watch it and uh, to be part of a larger event. And uh, it's super cool that it came together. You know, props to the same Kaiser Volcanoes who kind of got the ball rolling. And, uh, you know, tipped me off to it. And then it was funny. I was interviewing people in Colombia who were like, oh, yeah, I heard about it when you were writing about it over a year ago and I got the tickets. It, and, and, you know, it captured my interest immediately. It captured other people's interest. It was really cool to see uh, after Salem Kaiser announced theirs, you know, in the summer of 2016 to see teams, you know, one by one, the six other teams in the path of totality announced that they were doing something and really create an event that like was without precedent, without precedent and unparalleled. And, uh, you know, you can't just do something like that for fun. But, um, you know, there's another eclipse in 2024. And I think we're going to see this anytime there's any sort of phenomenon like that. If you can open the gates to your ballpark and have people come, then do it. And uh, throughout covering the eclipse, I was in touch with an astronaut by or a, a NASA scientist, not an astronaut, by the name of Noah Petro. And he was in Salem Kaiser where he threw out a first pitch. But uh, he said, look, you know, we've got 
we've got a lot of resources at NASA for education and outreach. And we're looking at these Eclipse promos as the start of hopefully a partnership in minor league baseball where we can have moon night and science night. And maybe it's not as dramatic as the Eclipse, but we want an ongoing that partnership awesome. with minor league baseball um, for events. And, you know, there's International Observe the Moon Night in October. So, you know, he, he was saying, like, if you have a stadium that's a year-round stadium and the weather's not too bad, you know, like NASA would love to partner with you for International Observe the Moon Night at the ballpark. Um, so there's a that's lot cool. of directions that this could go. And uh, NASA was strategic, you know, in terms of people who do that kind of stuff uh, with the educational outreach, thinking, like, you know, this is not just a one-off thing for the eclipse. These are hopefully the start of relationships with people, um, with organizations uh, based you know, on promoting uh, science and space. And their whole thing is, you know, if we have a, an event at a science museum, people will show up. That's cool. But those people are already tuned into the idea that they might go see something space related at a science museum. A minor league baseball game, you can reach an audience that might never think to do that, but then hook them, you know, grab them and, uh, you know, hopefully get them interested in space and science as well. So it's really cool. That is that is pretty awesome. A couple other stops have been made on this trip uh, through the Carolinas. The two newest additions to the Carolina League in 2017, um, Jim Perry Stadium, which is the home of Campbell University Baseball and is currently hosting the Bowie's Creek Astros, who will more than likely only be there until 2019 through the end of the 2018 season um, when their new ballpark opens in Fayetteville, North Carolina in 2019, and a place that for longtime listeners of the podcast, uh, you know, has a, a special place in my heart, but the historic Granger Stadium grounds in Kinston, North Carolina, which are now home to the Downey's Wood Ducks. Um, two very, very different atmospheres. Uh, tell us about Kinston and Bowie's Creek. Yeah, well, this trip was a funny one. I mean, I had these experiences in the South Carolina portion, which are the second and third stops, you know, in Charleston and Columbia, which I've talked about so far. Uh, but the trip was bookended by these North Carolina teams, which like no respect to them or no disrespect to them. You know, it was, you know, I met Bill Murray and live streamed an eclipse in South Carolina and North Carolina. I just kind of hung out at old at, at very quiet ballparks for the most part. It was totally different, but uh, it started with the Downey's Wood Ducks. You know, they play in Kinston, as he said, uh, Granger Stadium built in 1949. The team, re, uh, there hadn't been baseball there for six years. And uh, now that there is the Downey's Wood Ducks. And uh, so the ballpark for stadium built in 1949, I think the front office has done a good job with it, with a lot of the branding, a lot of the Wood Ducks signage everywhere, uh, spruced it up to the extent they could. And the night I was there, they actually set the all-time Kinston professional baseball attendance record, which is cool, which shows the return of baseball to the area has been embraced. And, uh, you know, pretty low-key evening for me. My designated eater became the first designated eater no-show in Ben's business. Yeah, history. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. and What he, happened? He overslept. He's a, he's a writer. He's a reporter, <laughs> you know. Okay. So he overslept, but I put okay, him on. We've I, all been there. Right. Uh, so – but I'm putting him on my enemies list, and he remains there. His name's Wes Wolf. I'm sorry, Wes. Whoa. He didn't apologize. I was going to ask you to name he, names, he, but you just did it anyways. All right. Cool. No, his name's wow. Wes Wolf. He didn't apologize. I was, like, getting oh, kind of antsy obnoxious. as the first, second, third inning went on. Then I was on the radio with a, a great announcer. And I'm going to blank on his name. Dominic, like, Catriano, uh, Down East Wood Ducks announcer. I might have gotten his last name wrong. But, man, you, you need some good announcers in the minor leagues. You know, young guys who are just uh, – well beyond their years. So I was uh, wondering where Wes was. I'm on the air with uh, Dominic. And, and then finally, after I'm done being on the air, he's just like, oh, I overslept. Um, you know, basically. Yeah, like, the tweet is embedded in the post and everything. There's no there's no contrite nature to this at all. 
No, but there wasn't anything like follow up or a direct message of like, hey, man, I'm really sorry because we all make mistakes. We all oversleep at things on occasion. <laughs> I've done it, but I know me and I'm prone to guilt. Maybe I should take a lesson from Les. I would be apologizing like crazy if I just didn't show up for something because I just feel guilt. I always feel that I let people down. It's not a good way to feel. So I'm like, dude, you just say like, oh, overslept. And then the rest of his Twitter feed is just like retweeting political things the rest of the night. I was like, all right, cool, man. You said you'd do something, you didn't do it, and you didn't apologize. You're on my enemies list. So it's unfortunate. Wow. And he can get off anytime. We'll be friends. I don't care. But come on, man. Apologize. That's it. That's it. This is the most Nixonian interview we've ever had with <laughs> Benjamin Hill, who you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz, not Ben's Bix. And the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com, not bensbix.mlblogs.com. Uh, don't cross him. Benjamin Hill. Thanks, Ben. Oh, no. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys. And then, you know, I did end the trip in Bowie's Creek, Jim Perry Stadium. Very, you know, Campbell University, very, very quiet environment and very surreal to see minor league baseball on this collegiate campus in a sleepy area of North Carolina. So I've talked a lot. You've already given me my uh, outro, but uh, check that out as well. And if you have time and uh, money or whatever to make it to Bowie's Creek in 2018, I'd really say do it because once this team moves to Fayetteville, Anything related to Bowie's Creek is going to become a collector's item, and the whole experience will be like, wait, what? Yeah, there, there, cool. was a, there was a minor league team where? They don't even sell their stuff online. It's just in a trailer. You can contact the team. I might give you some info on the blog and all that. But come on. I know a lot of like, you know, minor league baseball heads listen to this podcast. You know, So yeah. you're going to want to check out Bowie's Creek because that's going to be a cool little feather in your cap of obscure, of obscure knowledge. When like, oh, yeah, I was at Bowie's Creek. Like, check out my Bowie's Creek Astros hat. If you're wearing that in 10 years, you know. Other middle-aged men are going to think you're cool, too. So, you know, do it. <laughs> the hometown collection for 2027. Get a jump on that while you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to point that out. But uh, thanks for letting me ramble. I did just wake up from a nap. I just got home. I woke up from a nap when you guys called. And uh, appreciate it. And uh, I know you already said all the outro stuff. So, uh, you know, bye, guys. Sorry, I keep rambling. See, he just said sorry, Wes Wolf, <laughs> after a nap. See? See how it goes here? Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Again, huge thanks to Chris Singleton for joining us a couple of segments ago at C Singleton underscore two on Twitter and Benjamin Hill at Ben's Biz. And that will bring us to this week's final segment. We'll pick some things to watch on MILB.TV, which you can still pick up for the postseason run and throughout the playoffs in the 2017 minor league season. Sam, what are you watching? Yeah, I've got my eye on a uh, series coming up between Orem and Grand Junction. Actually, I think they're both playing each other pretty much all week. So any one of these games is worth watching. Uh, the reason why I bring it up is top Angels pick from this year, Joe Adele, uh, is now with the Orem Owls. Um, he's only played four games there as of us talking right now, but he had a pretty good line in, in the Arizona League, hitting 288 with four homers, six triples, six doubles, and five steals in 31 games there, had an 894 OPS. Uh, so he's really continued to show all the offensive capabilities we certainly thought he would have. Uh, when he went pretty high this year in the draft. Um, this is also, I'm also bringing this up just because uh, our colleague Mike Avalone did a story on Joe Adele, uh, kind of a longer feature on him this week, um, kind of his his decision to go pro, what it was like coming from you know two parents who highly va- valued education. He walked away from a Louisville uh, commitment in his native Louisville. Um, so that would have been interesting to see him go 
play with them, but that didn't work out, obviously, because the Angels took him so high. Um, and I, I love the start to the story because it kind of gets into you'll either see him as Jordan Adele or Joe Adele. Uh, and he explains why he goes by J.O. Adele uh, in certain cases or Jordan in other cases. So check out that story to figure out kind of the the reason behind the name and then uh, check him out on MILB.TV anytime this week uh, you know, to, to show you why uh, he's the top Angels prospect in a uh, system that I think is getting even better uh, by the month. Um, what do you got your eye on, Tyler? Yeah, I'm going to go out west as well to the California League where the San Jose Giants will play host to the Stockton Ports in a Battle of the Bay Area minor league affiliate edition. Um, the San Jose squad has had some really bright spots all year. One who is still with that team is Ryan Howard, the shortstop, not that Ryan Howard. This Ryan Howard, the shortstop for San Jose this season, was selected to the California League end of season all-star team. A 313 hitter on the year with a 743 OPS in 116 games. Played some quality defense uh, and a fun guy to watch he'll be in the lineup as san jose takes on the stockton ports coming up this weekend and also one other thing to keep an eye on if you tune in this weekend uh to the albuquerque isotopes and the salt lake bees you might see me and fellow milb.com writer josh jackson we're heading to albuquerque this weekend to uh watch a little baseball just caught so there watch for that out of your mind on green chili cheeseburgers Absolutely. That is my entire plan. I'm just going to the state of Albuquerque on their official tourism website. The state of Albuquerque. They have like a green chili. Oh, the state of Albuquerque. The state of New Mexico uh, on their on their official tourism website. They have a green chili cheeseburger trail of like all the best places to get green chili cheeseburgers in the state of Albuquerque in the state of New Mexico. (laughs) So. So now we know in the state of Albuquerque and the state of New Mexico. Now we know it. Yeah, nobody knows the best about. thing. Yeah. yeah, the 51st state, the state of green chili. <laughs> I would support that. That's and I would. That's the state I would. Want. Yeah, and I would support their flag. I think that would be a very fun flag. <laughs> yeah, your submissions. Probably in now. be a good one. Done by Brandios. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll do it. East Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week.